Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, one of the things I love when studying through the Bible or reading through biographies of men and women of God is just looking at how God uses them. But as I look at how God uses them, one of the things that I'm always focused on and things that intrigue me is how do those people respond to God using them, especially in front of the people who have seen God work through their life? You see, There are people that we look at in Scripture that God uses, and some of them respond to that use of God in a very good, positive, godly way, and others respond in a very poor, negative, ungodly way. Last week, we the... At the beginning of Acts chapter 3, we saw Peter and John uh, used by God in a miraculous way. This lame man was 40 years in this crippled position, and God uses Peter to to come up to this man. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk, and Peter reaches down and grabs this man's hand and lifts him to his feet. And God heals this man using Peter. And we saw how this lame man who was healed responded. He went through the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And we saw the response of the crowd who was just in amazement and awe at what God had done because they saw that this man was always there in that temple for the last many years, crippled, and now he's healed. But what I want us to note this week is how Peter responds. Peter's the one who was used by God. He was the one who God used to do this miraculous work. And I want us to note how Peter responds, especially to those who saw what God did. You see, what Peter's going to do is he's going to respond in a right way. He's going to respond in a godly way. He's going to respond in such a way that it's an example to us. You see, all of us, God wants to use us. God wants to work through us. God wants to do great things in our lives. He wants to help us meet the needs of people around us. And when God uses us, a question I want you to ponder this morning is how are you going to respond? When God works through you, when he does something maybe miraculous even through your life to impact someone else, how is it that you're going to respond to the work of God through your life, especially to those who have seen that work? Well, this morning, as we continue with Acts chapter 3, we're going to see how Peter responds, and we're going to learn some great lessons for ourselves. So Acts 3, starting in verse 11, it says this, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? So after Peter and John are there and and this lame man is now healed and he's whole and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God throughout the temple, this crowd of people who's there, they make their way to Peter and John. They're amazed. They see what's going on. They see that God used Peter and they come to Peter in this place which we're called is Solomon's Porch. 
Well, here's a picture of what the temple would have looked like at the time of Jesus and the apostles. As you can see there in the middle, that is the actual temple itself. Right in the front there is the gate beautiful, which we noted last week is where this lame man was begging, where he was healed. Uh, Solomon's porch is all the way over there on the left. But you see that large area around it. That is the temple courts. That's where the people would gather. Uh, and something that uh, is important to note is, remember, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. That's why they initially went there to begin with, and then they met this lame man, and God used them to heal him. But we're told that it was at the ninth hour of prayer. And I want to note that because at that time of the day, at the time of prayer, those courtyards would have been packed full of people. People came in there to pray. There would have been thousands of people in this area there. And so this man is healed. And lots of people would have seen that. And then they would have seen this man running and leaping and praising God through the temple. And people are just, wow, this is the guy that's been at this gate for years, paralyzed. And now he's jumping around. And they realize Peter was the one who was used to do this. And so Peter and John go over to Solomon's porch there on the left. And this huge crowd comes over to them. And I want you to note how Peter responds to these people who have seen him do a miracle. Verse 12. Now, we looked at last week, Peter responded to the need, which was an example to us. He, he sees this man in need. He, he meets this man's need. This morning, we're going to look at five ways that Peter responds to the crowd who has seen God work through him. And all five of these things that we're going to see that Peter does, the responses of Peter, are great, great things for us to learn, examples for us. Notice the first thing that Peter tells the crowd. Men of Israel... Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Peter has just been used by God to do something miraculous. A man who has been lame from birth, who's over 40 years old, is now jumping up and down, leaping and praising God. His legs have full strength again. This crowd comes running to Peter. They're looking intently at him, probably thinking, wow, you're so powerful, you're so godly, you're so amazing. Look what you were able to do for this crippled man. And since God works so great through Peter, since this crowd was thinking he was so wonderful, Peter's in a dangerous position right now. And the reason that he's in a dangerous position is he can now get filled with pride. He can now be in a place where he thinks more highly of himself than he should. He's in a place where he could think it's all about me and all because of me. And oh yes, you just keep looking intently at me because I'm the man. Look what I've done. I'm so great. See, our flesh loves the praise of people. It loves to think more highly of ourselves than it should. It loves to take the credit for things that we don't deserve. When God uses us, our flesh likes to get the pat on the back and when someone says, oh, that was so wonderful, great. Yeah, it was. I'm wonderful. I'm great. You know, we have those responses sometimes. So when God does something great through your life and that people start to praise you for, that's a, a dangerous place. You can start becoming prideful. Start believing the praise of people. Start believing that you're so wonderful and great when really there's only one wonderful and great, and that is God himself. You're no better than others. God just chose to use you. You know, a few years ago, I was listening to a pastor share about how 
pride destroyed his ministry, destroyed his life. Uh, This was one of my favorite pastor teachers growing up. He was a great evangelist, a great Bible expositor. Uh, He had a huge ministry. He was a keynote speaker at a lot of conferences, traveled around, uh, but he had an affair with his secretary. And he was sharing this story with um, as I was listening to this. And one of the things he shared, which was kind of, you know, just kind of showed the pride in his life is the secretary asked him, aren't you concerned with what we're doing? Aren't you concerned that God's going to remove this ministry from you? I mean, what we're doing is wrong. Aren't you concerned with that? And his response to her was very prideful. He said, you know what? God can't take this ministry from me. I'm the only one gifted enough to do it. The only reason this ministry exists is because of me. And he's sharing this after the fact and saying, this was my mindset. This was my thought about this ministry, that all these people and everything that happened was only because of me and how gifted I was. And God couldn't remove me because then the ministry would end and stop because I'm so important and I'm so great. A week after he made that statement, his affair was found out. He lost his ministry. He lost his family. He lost so much. But one of the things he shared was when I was teaching, when I was evangelizing, when lives were changed and people were saying how great my teaching was and how great it was that this church was growing and things were happening, instead of humbling himself and saying, you know, this is God's work and what God is doing and God's the one who's moving and God's the one who's changing lives and God's the one who's adding to the church, he started thinking, you're right, it's me. I'm the one doing this. I'm the gifted one. It's all happening because of me. It's all because of me. And if it wasn't because of me, then none of this would be happening. He responded in pride, thinking it was all about him and all because of him. And he's a great example of the wrong way to respond when God works through you, when God does amazing things in your life. Don't get all prideful and think you're so great. Remember who the one who really is doing it and humble yourself. You see, Peter had an opportunity to respond in pride. He could have, hey, yeah, you know, look at everyone's looking at me. Look what I've done. This is so great. I'm so wonderful. And he responded in humility. Notice he says, why do you look so intently at us, as in Peter and John, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? At a time when Peter could have accepted attention, could have accepted the praise for what God did through him, he humbled himself and told the crowd, it wasn't my power, it wasn't my godliness. Why are you looking at me as so I'm this great, powerful, godly man? It was God who did this work. Look to him. He took the attention and praise off himself. He didn't exalt himself. He didn't allow this crowd for a moment to say, you are so wonderful. He quickly responded in humility. This is the first response I want you to note. Peter responded to God working through him and and the people praising him with humility. And I think this is a great example for us. The first way that you and I should respond is as God works through us and as people see that is we need to respond with humility. You know, if you want to do great things or God to do great things through your life, you need to be humble. I think it's interesting that Peter not only demonstrates humility here, but he also writes about it later on in his life. First Peter is one of the letters that he wrote, and he specifically writes about humility, and he writes about pride, and he's a man who knew both sides of the story. And notice what he says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, this is a verse that tells us something that's so important to understand about pride and humility. And I think Peter learned this truth from experience. Hey guys, God resists 
prideful people. The last thing that you and I want or need is God to resist us. But the reality is God loves you too much to allow you to continue in your pride. Because when you and I get prideful, especially when it comes to the things that God does through our life, it will destroy us. As I mentioned, the life of that pastor and it destroyed him. You know, the reality is God loves you too much to say, you know, I'm just going to allow you to continue in that without resisting you, without doing something to help you see, you know what, you need to humble yourself. You're not so wonderful. You're not so great. It's me working, not you. And so God will resist us when we're prideful. But you know, there's a wonderful side to this as well. When we humble ourselves, he gives us that thing that we need so desperately, his grace. When you're prideful, God resists you. When you're humble, God gives you his grace. If you want to be used in great ways by God, you need to be humble. You know, when you look through the Bible, you look through church history, you look at men and women that God used greatly, one common theme that you will see, one character trait that you will see in all of them is humility. Now, it doesn't always start that way. You see a guy like Moses, and he started very prideful, thinking he could do it all on his own, but God had to break him, and God had to put him in the wilderness for 40 years, and he became humble. And he became a man who was now usable by God, and God was able now to deliver the nation of Israel through him. But before God did great things through Moses' life, he had to humble him. But Moses did come to that place of humility. And if you look through the lives of people that God greatly uses, you see this common character trait of humility in them. So first, Peter responded to the people who saw God work through him in humility. The second way Peter responded to the people who saw God work through him is he recognized he was just the tool and God was the one who was using him. Peter understood that the power to heal this man, it didn't come from him at all. It was something that came from God. Peter knew that this miracle was all of Jesus doing and nothing of him. And he wants the crowd to understand this as well. And once again, this is why Peter says in verse 12, why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Peter's basically saying to the crowd, you know, why are you praising me? Why are you thinking so highly of me? It's not my power. It's not my godliness that did this. I am just the tool that God has used. I think I've used this illustration before, but I think it it paints a good picture of what Peter's sharing here. You know, imagine you had to have brain surgery. They send you to the top brain surgeon in the country. He's been doing brain surgery for 30 years, and, you know, he does the surgery on you. He fixes all the problems that you have. And once you recuperate, you want to come back to the hospital because you want to thank the one who has fixed your brain and and done all that work on you. And, And imagine how foolish it would be. If you went into the surgeon's office, you walked right past the surgeon, you grabbed the scalpel, and you start saying, oh, thank you, scalpel, so much. You, you, know, you fixed my brain. This is so wonderful. This is so great. You know, the surgeon would be looking at you thinking you're crazy, thinking I need to do another brain surgery on you, uh, because the reality is he knows, and as you should know as well, the scalpel's just the tool. The one who did the work is the surgeon. And I bring that up because I think in the same way, as Christians, we need to recognize we're just the tool. The surgeon is God. The one who really does the work is God. He just uses us to accomplish his purposes, but never lose sight of the fact that you're not God. You're not the one with the power. You're not the one who's the one who's capable. He's that one, and he just chooses to use us as tools to do his will. You know, something that I have come to realize, and I think we need to recognize, is that people have a tendency to praise the person Christ uses 
as opposed to praising Christ himself. They have a tendency to praise the gifted people rather than recognize Christ, the one who gives those gifts. And because of that, we need to be aware of that. Because when God uses us, because people have a tendency to praise the one that God uses instead of God himself, they'll praise you. God will use you and people will start coming and thinking, oh, you're so great. And they'll want to praise you and they'll want to say all these things. And you're in a dangerous place. It's a place where you need to recognize, I'm just the tool. God's the one who deserves praise. God's the one who deserves honor. God's the one who has done this and he's just used me. Peter understood this vital truth and we need to as well. So the second way that you and I should respond to people who see God work through us is we need to recognize that we are just the tool that God uses. God is the one with all the power and he's the only one deserving of praise, not us. And you know, I've discovered something, and I wish it wasn't the way that it is, but I think one of the ways that we come to truly grasp that, not just intellectually, but practically, so we start living it, is through failure. It's not our power, but God's. We're just the tool. And you know what? We learn that as we fail. We learn that as we're broken by the Lord. And I think Peter is a great example of this. We just went through the Gospel of Luke, and we saw Peter was a prideful guy. He was constantly arguing with other disciples about who was the greatest, and he thought he was the greatest of all of them. Peter had the audacity to rebuke Jesus himself when Jesus says something, no, Jesus, you're wrong, that's not going to happen. And at the end of you know, Jesus' life, Jesus says something to Peter, Peter, you know what, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter in his pride says, no way, Jesus, that's not going to happen. Even if all these other guys deny you, I won't deny you, I would die for you. Peter was a man who struggled with pride. But you know what? He was broken that same night when he goes out and we know what happens. He ends up denying Jesus three times. And after that third time and the rooster crows, we're told that he wept bitterly. That night he failed miserably. And he came to a recognition that, you know what? I'm not as strong as I thought. I'm not as great as I thought. All these things about me and I was going to stand for Jesus and fight for Jesus and die for Jesus... I wouldn't even stand up to that little servant girl who I denied him before. And he recognized, you know what? I'm not what I thought I was. And it was a great learning lesson for Peter because he went from a man who was very prideful to a broken man who started to become humble. And it's interesting because that wasn't long ago before we see this point in time now. Because the Peter before that happened, when this crowd starts praising him, he probably been very tempted to be like, yes, I am great. I've been talking to all the disciples about who the greatest one is, and look what God has done through me. I'm sure that he would have struggled with that, but you know what? He was broken before this, and he recognized it's not me. It's the Lord. He did this. So Peter was a man who was broken of his pride through failure, and he recognized that he was just a tool that God used And I think God wants us all to come to that same understanding. And I hope for you that you can just hear this message and come to that understanding. I know for me, like with Peter, I had to learn through experience, through failure, through being broken. Because I heard lots of sermons about pride and the the need to be humble. But you know what? It wasn't until God really started to break me of my pride that things really changed. 
You know, before I moved to Scotland, I was 23. I was starting a church there. And, and before I went out, I took a missions team of Bible college students over there. And we helped three different churches in Scotland. And, and all these churches were small. They were under 20 people. And, you know, they just really weren't making much of an impact into the culture. And, and honestly, my thoughts as I was there started to become prideful. I'm thinking, you know, the reason that this isn't really going very well is these guys aren't the greatest teachers or these guys aren't very good at reaching the culture and just wait till I come. Wait till God brings me. Wait till I get my opportunity to come here and show these guys what it really is to, to do this and God's just going to do this great work through me. And, and these were my thoughts that were going through my mind. I was a young, prideful guy and, and I get there and we had a team come a week before the church started and we passed out thousands of flyers. We talked to hundreds of people and I was ready. All right, Lord, let's just see the work that you're going to do. You know, we rented our place. We were ready for people to come and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and one 50 year old woman shows up and that's it that whole first year was just a year of God breaking me of my pride and helping me to recognize any work that I do is going to be my work not you and I want you to understand that and so right now it's just going to be slow and nothing's going to happen until you come to a recognition that it's not about you, it's about me. And it was a great learning lesson. Uh, I don't hope that you have to go through something like that to, to discover that, but sometimes, you know, that's what it takes. It took that with Peter, it took that with me, but you know what? Uh, it's a wonderful lesson to learn that we are just the tool that God uses and that he's the one who's great, not us. I wish I could say all my pride is gone, that God has removed it all, that, you know, I'm just the most humble man in the world. But I realize, you know, God continues to show areas of pride to me and continues to break and continues to reveal to me my need to humble myself before him. So first, Peter responded to the people who saw God work through him in humility. Second, Peter responded to the people who saw God work through him by recognizing he was just the tool that God used. The third thing that we note is in verses 13 through 16. Notice what he says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the holy and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life who God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The third thing I want you to note about how Peter responds to the miraculous move of God through his life is that he points the crowd to Jesus, the one who's responsible for the healing of this lame man. He points the crowd to Jesus. He wants Jesus to get all the glory. The greatness of what Peter says to this crowd is the fact that this whole message is all about Jesus. He's just sharing about Jesus, pointing them to Jesus, wanting them to recognize he is the one who's done this. He is the one who deserves the praise, who deserves the glory. I want you to focus on him and not me. And I think this is another wonderful example to us. The third way that you and I should respond when when people see God do a great work through us is we need to point people to Jesus so that he can get the glory for working through us. When God works through you, gives you an opportunity to share with people. And I think, you know, make sure you focus 
on Jesus. Make sure you point people to Jesus because they're open more maybe than they ever will be because God has just done something. This layman, I guarantee, was more open than any other time in his life for God to speak to him. He just was healed. And, and the crowd who saw this, they're, they're open. And Peter has this wonderful opportunity. He could have squelched it. He could have ruined it. He could have not utilized it, but he does. He points people to Jesus at a time when they are open and they're wondering what's going on and they're wondering how this miracle occurred. He has this opportunity and he uses it so well to point the crowd to the one who truly did this. Something very important to note about God is he doesn't want to share his glory. He doesn't want to share the praise that is due only to him. And when you read throughout the Bible, you see that God goes out of his way to make sure he uses people that do not try to take the glory from him. God wants the glory. He wants what is deserving of him. I think a great story in the Old Testament that is a great illustration of this truth is the life of Gideon. Gideon was a commander of the army that God has established in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, we're told, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hands have saved me. Now, I want you to note something. At this point in time, Gideon has an army of 22,000 people. The Midianite army is over 100,000 people. So we got about a 5 to 1 ratio against the Israelites. They're already in a bad place. You don't want to go into battle when you have to kill five guys just to you know, survive. Okay? And God says something to Gideon here that probably shocked Gideon. And he says, you know what? There's too many people with you. What are you talking about? There's too many people. We only got 22,000. They got 100. We need about 80 more thousand. We don't need less people. We need more people. But notice what God says. There's too many people. Why? For me to give the Midianites into your hands. Why? Well, why are there too many? Because you guys will take the glory. You guys will walk around saying, you know, five to one, but we took them down. You know, we did it. We are good. And so he's like, even though there's this huge difference in the army size, it's still not enough for you to give me the glory. And so God dwindles the army down from 22,000 to 300. And at 300, he says, okay, this is good. At 300 to 100,000, you're going to recognize the only way that you were able to win this battle is because of me, and you will now give me the glory. And God does deliver them into the Israelites' hands, and the Israelites give God the glory because they realize it had to be him. But notice how God goes out of his way to do that because he doesn't want to share glory. He doesn't want to share the praise that is due to him. And when you do that, if you want to know what's a great recipe from hindering God to work through your life, Just be someone who takes glory from him. Be someone who takes praise from him. Be someone who points everything to you and not to him. And that's a great way for God to not use you. But if you want God to use you, be someone who's regularly saying, you know what, it's not about me, it's about him. Right when God uses you, point people to Jesus. Point people to the one who's actually doing the work. But I want us to note in this sermon what Peter's proclaiming, how he points the crowd to Jesus. First, notice that Peter starts by saying, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. This is interesting and important. Notice Peter starts off saying, you know what? I want you to understand the God that I'm talking about. I want you to know that I'm referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
in Jacob. This is the God that I'm referring to. And if Peter needed to do it in his time speaking to Jews, how much more in our culture today where there's so many different views of God and a lot of strange views of God. And so when we're bringing up the term God, we need to define our terms. We need to help people understand what God are we referring to? Who are we speaking about? Because, oh yeah, God did this. Well, all sorts of things are going to flood through people's mind of, oh, wow, but we need to help them see, no, 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 the true God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, is the one who has accomplished this for us. So Peter starts by making it clear which God he's speaking of, but then he boldly tells the crowd something that is very important. He doesn't shy away from it. Notice what he says in verse 13 through 15. Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. I want you to notice something. Just like in chapter 2, Peter had an opportunity to preach. And you know what he didn't shy away from? Telling the crowd that they were sinners. Here again, he has an opportunity to preach. And he doesn't shy away from telling the crowd that you were sinners. Hey, you guys killed Jesus. He doesn't shy away from that. And in our culture today, oh, don't tell people they're sinners. They won't like to hear that. They might not want to hear that, but they need to hear that. They need to recognize that truth because you don't recognize that you need a Savior until you realize, I'm a sinner. And so knowing I'm a sinner is so important. Peter shares that. It's a vital truth that needs to be communicated. But you know what? As we noted in the Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. No one forced Jesus to go to the cross. The reason he chose to go to the cross was to pay for your sin and for my sin. So it wasn't just the Jews or the Romans or Pilate or who the religious leaders that were guilty. We're all guilty. Because the reason that Jesus went was to deal with our sin. Well, Peter goes on to say that God raised Jesus from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You killed Jesus. You killed the Prince of Life. But God raised him from the dead. And you know what? I've seen him. John's seen him. The disciples have seen him. All these people have seen the risen Jesus. I want you to know, when Peter points people to Jesus, he starts by revealing three vital things about Jesus. First, Jesus is God. Second, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And third, he rose from the dead. You know, when we speak of Jesus and we point people to Jesus, it's great to say who Jesus is, God, and what he's done. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. We see this reality with Peter. Verse 16, notice what else Peter says. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. If they haven't got it yet, Peter wants to make real clear, Jesus and faith in Jesus through the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus is what has healed this man. It is what has enabled this lame man to now be strong. Peter wants to make sure Jesus gets the glory for healing this lame man because it's Jesus who did it. And so he points the crowd to Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 17 and 18, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Peter recognized something about these Jews. He recognized something about the whole process in which they killed the Messiah. He says, you know what, you guys did this 
in ignorance. Now, it doesn't make them innocent by any means, but it does define the nature of their guilt. There's a difference between willfully knowing doing something and, and ignorantly doing something. But the bottom line that Peter wants to bring up is, you know, despite all that you did, despite all that you did to Jesus, despite the fact that you crucified our Messiah, it did not change or derail God's plan. Because the things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, he said Christ would suffer. He said Christ would die. He said Christ would rise from the dead. All the things that were foretold have happened. What you guys have done has not stopped or derailed God's plan. His plan has been accomplished. So first, Peter responds in humility. Second, he responds recognizing he's just a tool that God used. Third, he responds by pointing these people to Jesus so that Jesus would get the glory for the miracle. The fourth thing to note of how Peter responds is in verse 19 to 21. Notice what he says. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. The fourth thing that I want you to note of how Peter responds to God using him in front of this crowd is not only does he share the gospel, but he tells the people of their need to repent of their sin. You see, Peter's already given a lot of essential parts of the gospel, who Jesus is, that he's God, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the dead to conquer sin, that he's a powerful God who is able to heal this man. But now he tells them what they need to do in order to be saved, what they need to do in order to get right with God. And notice what he starts off with, repent. The word repent means to turn away from something. You see, these people needed to turn away from their sin and turn to God. They needed to ask God to forgive their sins. You know, many people today mistake regret for repentance. There's a feeling of remorse or regret for something they've done, a feeling of sorrow. But it's not repentance because that feeling is nothing that changes them. Regret really produces nothing in itself. It's like putting a car in neutral and revving the engine. You hear a lot of noise, but you don't make any progress. Repentance, on the other hand, produces change. It's like putting the car in gear and actually moving forward. Just feeling bad about your sin isn't good enough. And that's where a lot of people are. Some are just, well, I'm I'm sad that I got caught. I'm sad for the consequences. I have a, a, a regretful feeling, but that is not repentance. Repentance is recognizing what I have done is wrong. I need to be forgiven, and I want to turn away from those things and turn to God. God doesn't just want us to regret our sin or feel sorry for our sin. He wants us to repent, to turn from it, and to turn to him. Well, when we repent of our sin, Peter tells us something very important takes place. Notice what he says. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. This term blotted out is very interesting because in the ancient times of Peter's writing, uh, they used ink that is different than the ink that we use today. The ink that we use today has acid in it, which enables it to go into the paper and basically stain it so it stays. But they didn't have that back then. So you would write on these different you know, pieces of you know, whatever they're writing on, and ultimately it wouldn't stain it to the point where it would stay. You could just get a wet cloth and you could wipe it off. And so maybe you misspelled something or you did something and you just blot it right off and kind of like you would erase it today with a pencil. Uh, But he's using this term of, you know what? 
your sin has been blotted out. Just like you're going to erase it, completely gone. That's what God has done. When you come and you confess it, when you come and repent of it, he just blots it out, wipes away any record of the sin that we've done, which is a wonderful truth. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice this, when we confess our sin, he's not only faithful and just to forgive, but also to cleanse from the unrighteousness that that sin brings into our life. He wipes away the record of our sin. So Peter responds to the people who saw God working through him by, by sharing the gospel, but following up with, you need to get right with God. You need to repent of your sin. This is the way for you to be saved and forgiven of what you've done. Peter realized this miracle wasn't what was going to save these people from their sin. Oh, wow, look at Jesus is able to heal. He realized if that's all they knew about Jesus when they died, they'd still go to hell. If you just think, well, God's a healer or God's a miracle worker or God's amazing in this way or that way, those are good, truthful things about him, but you need to know more. He's your savior, and the only way that you can have a relationship with him is if you repent of your sin, believe in who he is, accept him. You see, Peter realized that. Yes, this lame man's walking. He's leaping up and down. You guys think Jesus is so great because I pointed you to him. But there's more to the story than that. You need to know that he's not just the healer. He's the Savior. And you need to repent and get right with him if you want to be saved. So this is another great example for us and how we should respond when the Lord works through us. The fourth way that you and I should respond to people who see God working through us is we need to take that opportunity, not only to share the gospel, but to take it a step further and let people know how they should respond, that they need to repent of their sin and get right with God. When people see God doing something great through your life, this is a wonderful opportunity. You know, we went out yesterday looking for opportunities to share with people and share the gospel with people. And it's, it's harder when you're kind of just coming up to someone who doesn't really want to talk to you or, you know, they're doing their own thing. But when God works, maybe in that person's life through you or they see a miraculous move of a God, they see something take place, they're now open. And it's such a great opportunity that we shouldn't waste or pass up to say, well, well, wait a second, let me tell you something really important about what just transpired and who did it. And you know what? I want to go even farther and tell you who this person is and what they've done for you that's even more significant than what you just saw now. There's a greater miracle, a greater work of God in what he's done on the cross and that he loves you and that he died for you and that he wants to save you. But you need to make a choice. You need to repent of your sin. You need to choose to follow him. Peter goes on to say in verse 19, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. When Peter says times of refreshing, he's referring to the time when Jesus will come back literally to this earth in the second coming to rule and to reign. And Peter makes it clear that that time isn't going to happen until the times of restoration of all things. And one of those things that needs to take place is repentance of the Jews, of Israel. And it's interesting because Revelation tells us that there's going to come a time during the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist comes and the, uh, defiles the temple that they're finally going to realize who the true Messiah was and come and repent of their sins and get right with God. And it's after that that the second coming of Christ is going to come. But he's waiting to deal with 
the nation of Israel and for them to come back to a place of repentance of their sins and recognize this truth that Peter's saying, you killed the holy and just one. You need to understand it. You need to repent of your sin. So first, Peter responds through humility. Second, recognizing he's just a tool that God used. Third, he points people to Jesus so that Jesus would get the glory, not him. And fourth, he responds with sharing the gospel and helping them understand their need to repent. The fifth and final thing to note about how Peter responds is in verses 22 through 26. Notice what he says. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall utterly be destroyed from among the people. Yes, and the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The fifth thing to note that Peter says in response to God using him to this crowd, after he shares the gospel, after he shares the need to repent, he tells them there's a consequence If you don't, you need to get right with God because if you don't, you're going to go and be judged for eternity. Peter reminds them of a prophecy from Moses about Jesus in Deuteronomy 18. This prophecy of Moses was speaking about the Lord. He says, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, whom you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. He's bringing up to this group that would have known the Old Testament. Remember Moses spoke of the prophet that was going to come that you're supposed to listen to? Well, that is Jesus. But also that prophecy gave a warning. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Moses is giving this warning. There are a prophet who's going to come, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and you need to listen to him. But those who do not listen and believe and place their faith in him, notice the response, notice the consequence of that. He says, they will be utterly destroyed. You know, the Bible is very clear. It's another one of those things that is important to communicate with people because, you know, the two things that we're seeing in the church world today that, that people are shying away from is telling people that they're sinners and telling people that there is an ultimate consequence to sin, which is hell. Well, well you can't talk about hell because people don't want to hear that. You can't talk about sin. People don't want to hear that. They don't, but they need to because it's vital for them to recognize, hey, this is the consequence. If you don't get right with God, you have an eternity separated from him in hell. This is another great example to us. The fifth way that you and I should respond to people who see God working through us is we need to warn them that they got to get right with God now because there's coming a judgment. Revelation chapter 20 says we're all going to stand before the great right throne judgment and Jesus himself is going to be there judging people and there are going to be those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have believed in Jesus, placed their faith in Jesus, and they're not going to be judged for the sin that they've done. But everybody else, it says there's going to be book after book opened of everything that you ever did and ever thought. And God is going to judge you for that. And the ultimate judgment of that is hell. And you know what? We do not know how much time people have left in this life. You know, we have this tendency to kind of think, hey, you know, we got all the time in the world. 
Oh, we'll just put it off tomorrow. We're kind of a procrastination, you know, culture. You know, why do today what we can, you know, do tomorrow? And and when it comes to salvation, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to letting people know, you need to make a decision today. You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I think so often people, they hear the message of the gospel and they, their, their heart's convicted. The Holy Spirit moves and Satan comes and says, oh, no, you don't need to do that today. Put it off till tomorrow. Put it off till next week. Put it off till next year. And the longer they put it off, the more frightening it is because the reality is in this life and this life alone, we have the opportunity to get right with God. In this life and this life alone, we have the opportunity to accept Christ and be saved for our sins because the reality is once you die, your fate is sealed. If you've never accepted Christ in this life, then your eternity is sealed. You will be sent to hell. So we need to have that urgency. We need to have that recognition of the people that God brings into our life. We don't know how much time they have left. We don't know if God's coming tomorrow for us and then we're gone and we don't have the opportunity to share with them anymore. We don't know if you know, they get hit by a car tomorrow. Who knows? We don't know the time that people have. And so we need to have that sense of urgency to tell them, get right now. Don't wait. Get right with God now. Peter concludes his message by saying, God raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The greatest blessing of God is not the miracle of this lame man. He's saying the blessing that God sent Jesus' son to come and ultimately bless you by enabling you to be forgiven of your sins. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He took our sin. He took the judgment of our sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. And as Peter already had mentioned, we just need to repent. We need to ask God for forgiveness, turn away from our sin, and turn to him. So in these verses, Peter demonstrates for us five great ways to respond to people when God does some great work through our life. First, respond in humility. Don't respond in pride. Don't think, oh, it's all because of me. Recognize it's all because of God. Second, know that you're just the tool that God used. Third, take that opportunity to point people to Jesus. Show him it's Jesus who's the one who's done this. And get more specific. Fourth, take that opportunity to share the gospel and tell people their need to repent. And finally, warn them of their need to get right with God now. You don't know how much time you have left. All these things are great responses that we see from Peter that's a great response for us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you can change lives. I look at a man like Peter and I I see so much pride and so much problems and so many times he put his foot in his mouth and so many issues he had, but yet you loved him enough to break him and then to once again use him. And we see this transformation in Peter. We see this man who's now been filled with the Holy Spirit, this man who now has already boldly proclaimed the gospel message and 3,000 people getting saved, a man who's now been used miraculously. And after that, chose to humble himself, chose to give you glory, chose to once again proclaim the gospel message. And Lord, it gives me hope, and I hope it gives all of us hope that you can change us, that you can use us, Lord, that you can reach people through us. And I pray this morning, Lord, I know that you want to use each one of us. And as you use us, I pray that this message and the truth that we've seen this morning would just resonate in our heart and our mind and that we would be those who would respond well, to respond godly. Lord, to not just uh, 
get prideful and think so highly of ourselves because you're doing great things through us, Lord, which just leads to so many other sins and problems. But God, that you would help us to recognize we are only being used because we're the tool and you are great and you choose to use us. And we're just thankful for that, but we're not prideful for that, Lord. And so uh, I just pray that you would just do a work in us, Lord. If there's issues of pride, God, I just pray that your word as you share, Lord, that you resist the proud and give grace to the humble, that there would be, uh, you tell us that those you love, you discipline. And God, we need that. As much as we don't like it, we need it because we need to change. And so uh, if there are issues of pride this morning in individual lives, Lord, I just pray that you would break that from us, Lord, that whatever you have to do to show us that we do think more highly of ourselves than we should, that we do rely upon ourselves in ways that we shouldn't, uh, Lord, that you would just show us how much we need you. Show us that you are the only one who truly deserves any glory and praise and that we would change the way that we think of ourselves and that we would change the way that we think of you. And so just work in us, God. Change us, Father. And if you're here this morning and you've been listening to this message and you recognize, you know what? You've never taken the opportunity to repent of your sin to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to believe that he is God, to believe that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. Just as Peter did, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. That right now is the opportunity that you have to get right with God, to make a choice this morning to ask him for forgiveness, to make a choice this morning to repent of your sin. And so if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity right now. As everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you haven't done that, I just want you to raise your hand this morning. I want to pray with you and give you that opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Anyone here? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. 